Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading is taken from Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning here in this building. Good morning to you uh, again. If you've joined us from afar, it's lovely to be together in this way. I wonder, what do you think we should be called? What name should be given to those people who subscribe to the faith that centers around Jesus Christ? Well, I guess it depends on the context, right? So a government centers us, you would tick C of E. If you're into the shades and tribes of different types of Christianity, we might be called evangelicals in this church because of the kind of church it is. Local people around here might just call us churchgoers. The New Testament Uh, Most commonly, and I think this is a surprise to many people, would call us all saints. Of all the possible names, though, I guess Christians would be the most obvious answer. I'm a Christian. That seems fairly straightforward enough. But it's a name, I think, not without its problems. One of them, I think, is that it can be seen as a badge of identity and no more. There was a uh, surprising 2016 survey by the Briley Consultancy. They discovered there are more people in the UK who identify as Christians than there are people who believe in God. You go figure that one. Now, under God, I owe my growth in faith to a wonderful ministry who deliberately avoided using the term Christian. Now, you don't have to avoid using the term, but they did it to help young people distinguish between nominal cultural Christianity and living faith. And the alternative that they chose was follower of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you want to begin following Jesus? And we don't all have to use that particular way of putting it, but I grew up, and I have to say it was a real help to me, asking myself the question, Wondering what would it involve to follow Jesus? And putting it that way was a really good way of asking the question. 
We come today to our next chunk of Mark's Gospel. It's another quick-fire story, just those four verses of four people becoming, in the clearest of terms, just that, followers of Jesus. If you've got a Bible at home, uh, do be opening that up. It will also, the verses uh, will also appear on the screen so you can follow. It is, as I say, only the shortest of extracts, but I'm really excited to be looking at it together with you this morning. Because as Mark, this gospel writer, shares the story of these four fishermen joining the Lord 2,000 years ago, he actually gives us a, a wonderful picture of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus in any circumstance and at any time. And I'm praying that as we consider these first few followers, these unlikely respondents to Jesus' command, we'd see new reason ourselves to want to follow him, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, to recommit ourselves to him, and that he would, we would hear his voice, as it were, calling across the centuries, come, follow me again. So the story, well, it's pretty simple. We know it well. We were imagining it in our uh, staff meeting at the beginning of this week. And as many people picked up around the room, and I think this is bang on, it was surely a busy and bustling scene full of industry. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And then when he got a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, as you imagine that scene, I wonder what springs out to you in your mind's eye. I can't imagine, can you, that Simon and Andrew were alone. Certainly James and John, they, they weren't alone. They were stepping away from a much larger operation that was carried on then afterwards in their absence. In fact, the way I imagine it, I don't know whether this is right, I imagine a whole series of family fishing enterprises. You know, Zebedee and Sons and Levi and Sons. They're all lined up along the shore. Significant employers. And littered along the beach of the lake, some are out there already with their nets, others are getting ready, they're repairing their tackle, trading their catch, engaging in fishermen's banter. And out of all of these, few, these people, Jesus picks a few. And what does he pick them for? Well, the verse says, he asks them, verse 17, to come, follow me. Come, follow me. Just three words, really. But I think in this context, they, they tell us so much about what being a Christian actually is supposed to be like. And I can see at least six things right here in those verses. Number one, following Jesus is not just for the likelies. Following Jesus is not just for the likelies. Now, I don't want to over-egg the pudding here. Uh, sometimes you hear people saying, look, uh, there's Jesus. He's going after, oh, the simple fishermen, as if these guys are some kind of day laborers at the bottom of the economic food chain. They're not. I mean, if we pay close attention to verses 19 and 20, it looks like James and John, were, they were in line at some point to inherit a significant family business with a collection of employees at their disposal. Now, Jesus did go to the least and the marginalized, but these fishermen are probably not an example of it. They probably had a decent source of income. Isn't it nice to know that Jesus recruited from the middle classes as well? Having said that, they are 
fishermen. This rabbi is building a band of followers and he's not gone in the first instance to the top talent pool of the religious schools and the synagogues. He is recruiting fishermen to do the work of his kingdom. And so it continues today. He calls the IT specialists, practically all of them to this church as far as I can work out, and the hospital porters, and the stay-at-home parents, and the out-of-work, and the university lectures, and we could go on. His call to follow is just as much for the Lithuanian removals driver that got us into the vicarage this week as it is for the theology graduate from the family of ministers. I wonder where you put yourself in the whole spectrum of likely or unlikely. Well, wherever you think you are, do you know those words, come, follow me, are as much directed at you as they are at any other man or woman? Following Jesus is not just for the likelies. That's number one. Number two, following Jesus is a deliberate action. Come, says Jesus, follow me. Now, pretty obvious, that's going to involve a deliberate action for these fishermen. Simon uh, and his brother, says verse 16, they were busy actually fishing at that moment. And so Jesus sees Simon, his brother Andrew, in the act of casting into the lake. And they had to stop casting. They had to gather up the net, row back in, haul it out, give their colleagues the nod. Thanks very much, we're off. Walk over to Jesus and join him. And it's helpful to note, I think, that if we piece this together with the opening of John's gospel, they already knew about Jesus because they knew John, uh, the, the, um, the Baptist. But it's only now that they begin to follow him. Now is when they drop everything and take that deliberate action. Now, I think that's important to say because one of the ways in which this idea of being a follower of Jesus really helped me was to make it clear that it's not possible to be a Christian by accident, like hitting a branch when you fall out of a tree. I'm not a Christian because I'm British. I'm not a Christian by default because I haven't opted for something else or because I like people who are. I'm not even a Christian because I've been going to church all my life, though I kind of have one way or another in many ways. I'm not even a Christian because I was baptized as an infant. And I've never yet said I'm checking out, although I'm all for baptizing babies. We'll speak about that another time. I'm a Christian because I have heard Jesus' call and I have decided to follow Jesus. It's deliberate. Now, of course, any of us who've been Christians more than about five minutes will know that we're forever veering off course. We're wobbling in our resolve. You know, we're all like those tricky toddlers. We regularly, we go on strike and we let Jesus walk off some way ahead with our arms folded. And of course, our situation isn't quite the same as disciples anyway. Jesus has not come to us in person. He doesn't ask us to actually track his physical location as the disciples did. But the picture still applies. Following means going where someone else goes. Mark tells us, At once they left their nets and followed him. Following Jesus is still that kind of thing. A deliberate decision. I wonder, have you made that deliberate decision? And in a sense, it's an ongoing daily decision, isn't it? It's a deliberate action. That was the second. Number three, 
following Jesus is personal. Come, says Jesus, follow me. Andrew teed this up wonderfully at the beginning. We follow so many different things, don't we? But the thing I love about the idea of following Jesus is that it helps me understand it's personal. Jesus might have said, mind me, come, follow my rules. And following Jesus surely entails that too. He might have said, come, believe my creed. And surely there is stuff to believe. But all of that is subsidiary, second to something much bigger. The Christian life is a relationship with a person. Come, says Jesus, follow me. I'll never forget when I was, uh, I was a teacher and uh, we had this custom where as members of staff would leave the school, uh, they, if they wanted to, they could preach a sermon in chapel. And I remember that being given to one of the physics teachers before he left. Uh, I taught a boys' secondary school, 600 boys in chapel in this morning listening to this guy. He was very popular. Um, he did this amazing uh, thing because he would teach the physics of sound by using an electric guitar, which he played incredibly well, so everyone loved him for that. Anyway, in this sermon, he gave a very simple challenge. He said, do you know Jesus? Said to these boys, do you know Jesus? And he clarified, not do you know about Jesus? I know that you know about Jesus. He asked, do you know Jesus? Like these fishermen, presumably. They knew about Jesus before then. But the question was not, do you know about him? But will you know him personally? Because that's what it means to be a Christian, to have a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. It's to follow him. Now, even as I say that, I realize that can become, that can sound quite strange. I mean, we can sort of see how the first disciples did it, right? They went off with the guy. They sat down with him, had lunch with him, so forth. But how can I possibly have a personal relationship with a guy who hasn't stepped on the earth for two millennia? I can't see him. I can't feel him. I can't really chat to him in the same way. That's a very fair question. This is what I mean by having a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. It means, first of all, getting to know his character. And you, you can do that by reading the scriptures. In that sense, you can spend time with him. The second thing is engaging with the fact that he's still alive. That means whatever he was to his disciples, he still is to us today. And third, we sang about this earlier. It's that experience of the Holy Spirit whom the Father has sent in Jesus' place who lives in the believer. He comes into your life and you have an ongoing sense of connection to God. Now, if all of that still leaves you wondering, these are good questions to ask. I'd love to speak to you about it further. Why don't you ask a Christian friend? Or perhaps you discuss it in your small groups this week. What it looks like that following Jesus is personal. But it is In that sense, as ever, following Jesus is personal. We're doing well. Three more to go. Number four, following Jesus is life-changing. Following Jesus is life-changing. I want you to just imagine for a moment what it looked like from the outside when Jesus was on that shore. Imagine you're one of Simon and Andrew's colleagues and the guys who would haul up their boat just next door to them on the beach or something like that. The day's got underway. Everyone is busy about their fishing, like every other day, presumably. And then suddenly, you two, presumably, you hear this 
Jesus chat, but you don't necessarily know who it is, made this call out to the, to the people in the boat. Now, what are you thinking? Why are you thinking, perhaps, oh, that's a bit, bit bold. You know, can't he see he's gonna, they're busy fishing? He's going to have to wait for sure. Simon, Andrew got a very big catch to haul out. And then, to your great disbelief, these fishermen stop what they're doing right there. They pack it up, they bring it in, and they just leave, never to return to their nets again, it turns out. I mean, this call is life-changing. Their lives are now heading in a completely different direction. And it's the same for us. Admittedly, of course, we're not in exactly the same situation. These guys really had to actually physically relocate with Jesus. That was how Jesus' ministry had to start. In fact, they were never going to get another home for some time. They were going to be on the road for a while. And for some of us, that's still true. Following Christ does literally mean getting up and going somewhere different from where you are right now. It was lovely last week to meet our mission partners, Simon and Sue French. And uh, I was learning this week how their story gone. Back in 2005, they went out to a pretty remote area in Tanzania to go and live with the Datuga people to help equip the local church there to reach their neighbors with that same call from Jesus, come follow me. Now Simon and Sue, they're now back in the UK. They're looking uh, to work with the African diaspora. But there are still many unreached people groups, whole communities all the way around the world who have never heard of Christ And the Lord today is still calling some people, stirring up the next generation to reach them, to relocate. I wonder, is that you? But for most of us, the call doesn't necessarily involve a physical move. But following Jesus is still life-changing. How is that? Well, if you're trying to follow Jesus, your priorities in decision-making won't be the same. If you're trying to follow Jesus, your joys and your sorrows will be different. You could find yourself with an exciting but radically different future. You'll find yourselves at times swimming against the tide of social opinion. You'll find that the unseen things matter to you because you know that they're seen by your Heavenly Father. You won't have the same aspirations for your kids as your friends who don't follow Jesus. There are many other ways in which at times you're going to stick out because of your faith. Uh, Let me just say, there are no prizes for being an oddball just for the sake of Jesus. But let's not be surprised if following Jesus Christ leads to a different kind of life because it's always been like that. Following Jesus is life-changing. Let me say something particular to you if you're a teenager. Most of us have been teenagers. I'm not sure we could have got to where we are without that. And we all know there's a time of life where being different is really challenging. Still, the call is for following Jesus to be life-changing. And I want to say that's a good way to live, even if it's not the same as your friends. And that leads us on to number five. Following Jesus is costly. As we were reading these uh, verses, Sheridan, our new children's coordinator, he drew our attention to one um, often forgotten poor character in this, uh, in this story, poor old Zebedee. Do you remember? Verse 19, when he'd gone a little farther, it says, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men 
and followed him. You get the sense, don't you, that um, Zebedee and his sons, you know, they've been fishing this lake for some time. Zebedee's built himself up a nice little nest egg. No doubt he's been thinking about the welfare of his boys. You know, in due time, he's probably going to hand over the running of the family business to them. He can head off gently into retirement. It makes you think it can't have been a particularly easy exchange between him and the boys that day. Dad, we've, we've got something we'd like to say. Um, we really appreciate all that you've done for us. And we love being out here with you fishing on the lake and you know, it's really good business and all the rest of it. But we're going to go with Jesus, if you don't mind. Zebedee, what, is he paying you? No. Well, presumably he's going to train you. He's going to give you some kind of qualifications. No. Is he offering any accommodation? I'm not sure he said something funny about foxes having holes and birds having nests, but I think, I think not. I cannot imagine old Zebedee was rushing to dish out the father's blessing. It was then, and it is now, costly to follow Jesus. And for all of us, that cost will be real. It's going to take very different forms. Perhaps it's the disdain of a family member. Perhaps it's a particular type of deprivation. Perhaps it's a struggle with sin. Perhaps it's just the cost of putting ourselves out there to be involved in other people's lives with the joys and also the mess and the risk of getting hurt. But here's one thing I want to encourage you with this morning. The cost is part of the relationship. It is part of Jesus' call. And it's also I want to be so bold as to say, part of Jesus' love for us. Let's just think about these, these words a little bit further. As I read this account, I ask myself, is it that Jesus needed disciples, but, you know, the, the kitty was empty, so he couldn't really cater for them, and so it was going to be tough, but he would wisely choose some people who'd be able to cope with that. I mean, is it that Jesus is one of those ultra-focused but slightly mean bosses? He's got really big plans, but he doesn't really want to pay for them. No, it's not that, is it? Is it not that Jesus loved these men? He loved them like he loves you and me. And part of his love for them was to call them on this voyage of costly discipleship into a life that was richer by far than anything the world could offer them. And even as I say that, I think that's a challenging thing for me personally to believe and for us all. So, following Jesus is costly. Finally, number six. And uh, with uh, apologies in advance, as I look at the uh, little bit of uh, moisturizing hand gel that kills 99.9% of bacteria, following Jesus is infectious. It's infectious. I was going to say viral, but I thought that was, that was somehow press a couple too many of the wrong buttons. Self-replicating is probably technically more accurate, but that's just a bit, <laughs> a, a bit too technical. Infectious. On the basis that some good things are infectious, like enthusiasm and that sort of thing. Verse 17 and again. Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. I think Jesus surely had a sense of humor. That was, it's a good joke, actually, wasn't it? It's fishermen, you know, you see what he's done there. To call fishers of fish, fishers of men, as the traditional versions used to have it. 
Jesus was gunning for growth here. And he started with his growth pattern in the very first recruits. He he was thinking, oh, we're going to make a self-replicating model here. Jesus goes to the lake. He goes fishing for disciples. And he's going to fish disciples who themselves are going to fish disciples after them. And so it's going to keep going. And look what happened 2,000 years later. Here we all are standing in this building looking pretty strange. But nevertheless, the product of one man asking another man, asking another man, asking another woman, asking a child, and so forth, all the way through the centuries to follow Christ. And did you know what this, what this, what this signifies? It means Jesus doesn't just want groupies. He doesn't want just people kind of towing along behind. He wants people who want to be involved, who want to join in with his mission. Isn't that exciting that we have that task? To let his call, as it were, flow through our lives all the way out to our friends and our colleagues and our families. And I want to say I'm so encouraged as I begin here at Emmanuel Croydon, by the many people I've met here who are right on this, who are determined to do that fishing, not to let the good news die with them, but to pass it on and let it call many more to him. And so I'm praying as we finish that we as a church will be distinguished by our desire to carry on that same task in our time too. Let's take a moment of quiet and then I shall pray and then we will sing together of how the Lord has called us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this personal, life-changing costly, ongoing, infectious call. And we pray so much that we would hear your call on our lives and that if we have heard it before, that you would make us hear it again and more strongly and each day more and more that we might be those who follow you and call others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.